Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, can you dig it? Five hundo. We did it. Look at that garish robe. It's Morning Combat. And today, Wednesday, October 11th, 2023, Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell... We made it, folks. 500 friggin' episodes. Luke, I can't believe we got here. Wow, look at that. We here, brother. We freaking here. Your thoughts. I wanted to wear this robe for the peasants to see as we sit here and celebrate 500 of these MK episodes. And when the hell else am I going to wear this thing anyway? Uh, never. Yeah, dude. Can you believe it? 500 of these? 500 smackers? 500 a, of these goddamn things? I can't believe it. What a testament to, to perseverance through a difficult marriage, through the ups and downs of the business, Luke. Yet we are still friggin' standing four and a half years later. Um, You've been in this game a long time, Luke. Not every show reaches this limit. Not every show can say today we're both super washed and we're 500 episodes deep. Luke, could you just tell the people what this actually means? Yeah, I mean, it's extremely hard to do anything with any kind of longevity in combat sports and in particular MMA. A little bit easier in boxing, but still pretty hard. Uh, and even in the last four and a half years, everything under us has changed for good and for bad in all kinds of different ways. So... To be able to have a project where you can do 500 episodes of a podcast is, I'm not going to say unheard of, like the MMA Junkie guys have done a thousand, but they've been doing podcasting since before I, I was even really working in the industry. So it, it, took, it takes a long time to get to something like this. Um, well, look, this isn't yeah, man, just we're lucky. a podcast. We're lucky. Yeah, we're super lucky. This isn't just a podcast, though. It's a multiple-time award-winning digital mm. series and also... The documentation, the ups and downs, the growth of men, Luke. And here we are, all this time later, I want to shout out so many great people. But first and foremost, Luke, these great fans that give us these awards because they create dummy email accounts that are rabid day one P1s. We're not here at this point without them. So up front, many thanks. And Luke, we have a spectacular anniversary episode today not just reacting of course to the breaking news that ufc 294 is burning and we're gonna have to find out the fallout of all of that but luke we decided to scrape up a little wheel of death ghost of christmas donk past for you to step up against are you think you're prepared for that no definitely not i feel like this is probably a setup to make me look bad but but that's I'm the history of morning it. combat, really. That's right? the history of morning combat, yes, in fact. If you're, not you're already, under your pressure anyway. Yeah, if you're not already doing it yourself, uh, I'll, I'll take you there. Uh, special shout-out to Mikey Mormile, CBS Sports, on the ones and twos. And Luke Thomas, Mikey has helped cook up a bonus upon bonus surprise for our MK Hardcores. And that means today, right after this episode on the Morning Combat YouTube channel, we will be going live at 1 p.m. Eastern with the top 50 greatest moments in MK history. Luke, you think we'll get high traffic on this, or will it be like our documentaries? It'll be like our documentaries, but that's okay, because it's only designed to be for the folks who really understand what this lifestyle's all about, and that yeah. ain't for everybody. 
That that's a, you're damn right about that. Uh, obviously, we could shout out so many people, Luke, but uh, I wanted to shout out one person who just recently left our team. Yet came in on the Zoom call for our pre-show meeting today to to share love on our 500th episode, and that's Showtime's Courtney Mag, who from day one, Luke has almost been the the matriarch, if you will, not to get gender specific, of this show. She's put us in our place. She's put the show in place. Maybe she got a little bit of her flowers when she went out and got robbed in that boxing match she did, Luke. But mm. she's one of the stalwarts of what has made MK great. Yeah, man, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that helped us get to this one. She, <coughs> excuse me, is one of the more integral figures in that regard. Sad to see her go, but um, that's the way the cookie crumbles, I suppose. And... Uh, yeah, we're just gonna have to figure out a way forward without her. There it is. But others have been so key along the way from, you know, Matt Snyder to Brian Daly to Karen Portley. So many across the board have championed. How about Sam Batesh of CBS Sports have championed this brand, Luke, and have continued to help us get to the next level. Hopefully there is a next level for this great <laughs> show. But if it has to be you and me with a tin can in your front yard lifting with the vagabonds in the area, I'd consider it. I'd consider it. It's a big of you, BC. It's a big yeah, of you. Very, very Again, of your you. impression of what that looks like is probably so far incorrect, it's barely even comprehensible, but I want you to keep entertaining all of these absurd ideas about me, please. Well, Luke, before I uh, you know, continue to entertain more things, um, did you think we'd get here? Did you really think we would? In in July, I think it was it was July of twenty nineteen, two yes. days after International Fight Week that you and I first showed up in that damn bomb shelter, uh, what would you have said if somebody gave you the vision of what where we would be all these years later? I'd be very surprised. I'd be very surprised. I didn't know how that was going to work. I didn't know if it was going to work. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. I just didn't. I had an idea. You had an idea. We had ideas. And we just thought, well, here we go. And um, I knew it could. I knew... I. I always thought it could have some longevity, but that it did is um, surprising. Surprising is the wrong word. Pleasantly surprising, I suppose. I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, but yeah. nothing is guaranteed in this business. Not tomorrow, not anything. Well, we've run, we've won everything from garish robes to garish hardware of championship awards. We hosted the halftime show on Showtime pay-per-view of the Double Charlo event a few years ago. We... I don't know, headlined a podcast festival in London, England, and damn near. That was this year, if you can tour the dude, house February down. of this year was a different time, it feels like. It was a sellout, bro. That was a damn sellout over there at King's Place, King's Court in England. So shout out to everybody, including the great Paquettes who made the trip, Luke. So it's been a fantastic True. journey. We'll hear later in the show during Wheel of Death, Ghost of MK Past Edition, we're going to hear from some of the donks, famous or not, beloved or not. We've got a cavalcade of people who have lent their voice to celebrate and ask Luke some very, hopefully, some very uncomfortable questions. Luke, I haven't seen any of the videos. Mikey has, has uh, you know, fostered this, so I'm ready to see what happens just the same later today. Uh, we have so many partners, and of course, you can follow us on our socials and like and please subscribe to this video. And if you're entertaining the idea of Showtime for 30 days, why not go to Showtime.com, get it free right now. But Luke, when we're talking about so many of our great partners, including the great Showtime streaming app, there's a little partner that does big things. And I'm talking about the scoop of that green magic every single morning. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about yes, AG1. you mean the foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health, <laughs> that one? The one that I literally drink every day. I give AG1 a try because 
I was tired of taking so many supplements and wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. And once I got a taste of that subtle tropical flavor, I was hooked. Yeah. That's right. AG1 in the morning for this guy before working out makes me feel unstoppable. How about that? It's rain energy and AG1 for Luke. That's the key to success in this life. I'm giving my body, though, the nutrition it craves (coughs) by getting rid of the energy drinks and covering my nutritional bases. And Luke, it's not just me. All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their damn bodies, something I'm finally learning learning at 45. And a huge part of that starts with optimizing your freaking whole body health, does it not? Question Certainly mark. does. And you have to set yourself up with, uh, you know, success with high, 75 high-quality uh, ingredients with daily nutrients and that support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. You can get that in AG1, peasants. Yeah, you you can't beat that with a bat, right? Hammer can't touch that, and it's a a micro habit that delivers so many macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. So here's what we need you to do, folks. If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D drops and the five free travel packs that I take with me on every single trip. Go to drinkag1.com slash morning combat. That's drink A, the, the letter A, the letter G, the number one. Drinkag1.com slash morning combat. Go check it out right now. All right, Luke, before we quickly transition to what everybody's here for, UFC 294, what the hell's going on? Uh, YouTube.com slash morning combat for all of our extras. You had a big extra yesterday when you caught up with the King Gordon Ryan, the maybe the best grappler on this damn planet, but the subject matter was really about the preparation of John Jones for Stipe Miocic. And Luke, I got to give you a high five, a fantastic sit down that was lengthy. It's already been aggregated and it's already getting spread around. True or false here? Damn Gordon Ryan made John Jones seem like a freaking goat that he is, dude. Like, I, I feel like John Jones really might go in there and tap Stipe within 65 seconds after watching that interview. Yeah, there's been a, a few times in my life where I'm like, is John really going to turn this corner or is he going to get past this trouble or whatever kind of obstacle was in his way, professional or personal? And then you talk to someone in his orbit and they're like, oh, yeah, no, he's fine. Trust me, he'll be, he'll be good to go. And then he goes out there usually and then just absolutely destroys them it, it or you know not not always but typically that's the way that it's gone and everything i'm hearing from folks around him is like this is yeah he looks tremendous he looks great gordon ryan had a lot to say gordon ryan's not going to be in this corner in all likelihood for folks who may have missed the interview um, but he does have i think some more training sessions ahead and really the funny story is is that john jones brought him in because he wanted to learn leg locks which is not going to be a huge priority for his game, but then realized that Gordon knew a lot more about a lot more than leg locks, and so has kept him around and continued to like build on some of the larger things that Gordon is good at, or at least understands about the grappling game. And you know, if you think about it, BC, by the time you're 36 years old, you've been in this game for you know two decades if you count the wrestling even longer than that. You're kind of set in your ways. You are who you are by that point. There's not much you can add. But if you're thinking about who's a guy you can bring in for in all likelihood one final fight and then you know the fight could stay standing but if it goes to the ground the point i'm trying to make is who could you bring in and get an immediate impact from as a coach gordon ryan is that kind of guy he has that kind of influence over these matters so to me it was really smart by john to bring him in i know he's got a coach named tusa who's really good but um can't go wrong bringing in gordon ryan really is just a high level guy meets high level guy 
fascinating hearing him say how quickly John takes to new ideas, to new techniques, and suddenly they are instantly a part of the overall package. That's what <clears throat> makes somebody great and makes somebody the GOAT. Uh, check that interview out, youtube.com slash morning combat. You can see Gordon Ryan on a throne. I didn't know if there was toilet paper and maybe like a magazine stack under there, Luke. I mean, who has that chair in their house, right? Him and uh, I guess the folks at the Palace of Versailles. That's about that's, it. That's about freaking it. Oh, final note, merch, right? Let's go to morningcombat.store. This hat, this cup, this damn average Joe Art crossover of two super washed dads who are doing this for the 500th freaking time. You want to get in on this revolution and wear it on your skin? Go to morning, uh, morning Joe dot no morning combat dot store. Uh, let's collaborate here again with Average Joe. I hope we will, Luke. I don't know the update on that. RJ doesn't tell me nothing. He's like, you know, changing diapers and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's 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 a little preoccupied. I think. Yeah. Boom. There it is. All right, let's get into topic number one on this anniversary show. And here we go. UFC 294 overnight turned upside down. Luckily for us fans, Dana White took to the podium following Tuesday night's episode of the Dana White Contender Series. And we've got further updates on the further updates. And what the biggest news is this. Charles Oliveira is out of the October 21st Abu Dhabi UFC 294 main event opposite, of course, Islam Mahachev. It would have been a rematch for the lightweight title. Oliveira suffered a very nasty cut in the fifth round of a sparring match. But Luke Thomas, what did I text you right after that news broke? I said, watch out. Volk's going to pick up that phone and he's going to dare to be great one more time. Dude, that's what the hell that guy did because that's what the hell that guy does. Suddenly, two weeks from now, we got Islam versus Volk 2, which is among the three best fights you can make in this entire sport. Luke Thomas, is this actually an upgrade? No, not an upgrade. Uh, or I Well, likely not an upgrade. I mean, let's be clear about something, right? So Islam versus Volk 2, the way you described it was potentially one of the three best fights you could make in MMA. On that level, I agree. On that level, I very much agree. But remember, we have to back up here a little bit on the circumstances. Charles received a cut in the fifth round. I believe we have a graphic of it. Uh, Mikey, if you can get a chance to show it to the audience here. In the fifth round of his last sparring session, he collided heads. And you can see he's got a vicious cut over his eye. There's just no way that's going to heal in time in order to accept a title fight. It would burst wide, wide open uh, the instant that any kind of contact hit it by the time he gets to Abu Dhabi. So he's out, and they have to sub in. And thank you for showing that. They have to show now Volkanovsky uh, this opportunity. I want to be clear, BC. I'm not poo-pooing this fight. I'm not even poo-pooing this fight on the fact that Volkanovski is taking it on 11 days notice. Even a fighter the caliber of Volkanovski taking a fight on 11 days notice, especially as a backup, this is still a big win for the fans. And I really want to make sure that everyone understands that that's what we're saying here. I don't think either of us are in any way, like we may have wanted the Charles fight to go forward because he was really the most ready, but we're not in any way upset even under these circumstances for a Volkanovsky uh, rematch. However, however, BC, we just have to be clear-eyed about it. We want what we want, we're hoping for the best, and I'm not telling you that Volkanovsky doesn't have a chance, but surely as a rational man, which you can be at times when you wanna be, you have to look at a circumstance like this and say, he had surgery after his last fight, 
which initially did not put him in line for this opportunity. Now, maybe he's healing like Wolverine and he feels good. In fact, I don't think he'd take this if he didn't believe he could win. But how can you look at something like this and say, this is certainly not the best way to get Volk versus Islam to, right? We would have wanted that under better circumstances. And more to the point, just how compromised is Volkanovsky going to be or not at his best, either from injury, cardiovascular conditioning, whatever, that's going to limit his capacity to win? Here's what I'm worried about, BC. I'm worried that Islam might go in there and because Volkanovsky took this in an unprepared state, Islam could win this in a relatively not easy fashion, but compared to the first one, much easier. And then we're like, oh, right, what the hell was the point of that? We are risking that here too, are we not? I mean, we are, but when your pound for pound king is willing to accept like arguably the hardest fight available to him on 11 days notice to save the date, there's not a ton of negatives for me in that. I get the concern about the short camp and coming off of surgery, but here's the thing, Luke, unless Volk was going to move to lightweight full time, remember, I'm the guy who said like, I don't even think we need this Charles rematch right now. What we need is the Volk versus Islam rematch with Volkanovski moving up full time because, in my opinion, he's conquered featherweight. So let's move up to the next level and continue to add to his legacy. But this comes off the heels of rumors yesterday that it looks like Volk was just about to sign a return in January against Ilya Teporia. So it's almost telling me that my plans for his future might not be the most accurate plans, meaning he might have more time at featherweight. So if the only chance we're going to get this right now is this rematch uh, lightweight is under these circumstances, it almost makes this feel like a lower risk proposition. It's high risk for Volk on short notice off of surgery, yes. But at the same time, we're asking Islam to prepare to fight the greatest fighter in the world a second time, a fighter who arguably defeated him in a very close, amazing first contest. Now you got to face him on 11 days notice. And if you're Volkanovski, if you plan on staying at featherweight anyway, which I'm not, I'm not sure long-term that's exactly where it's at, but it seems short-term, then this is almost like a shot in the dark. This is almost like Luke when the quarterback gets the line to encroach and jump off sides and then they got like a free play, right? And they just throw it deep. I don't, what does Volk lose here overall? Unless his, you know, unless, I don't know if he was necessarily planning a full-time lightweight move like I wanted. So if this is just the best chance to try to slide in, save the promotion, make a ton of money and try to maybe catch Islam off guard in preparing for a different fighter, this is what the greats do, Luke. Yeah, there's some risk involved, but it's also at the same time uh, a get-out-of-jail-free card if he loses, in my opinion. Do, do, do you agree with that part of it? I don't know. I think the risks in this one are pretty substantial. I mean, here's what you have to think about, which isn't to say it makes it bad. I'm not saying that because it carries risk, therefore it is bad. I want to be very clear. You're getting number one versus number two, basically, in the sport. You're getting it under less than ideal circumstances, but you're still getting it. And for that reason, I think there's something to be very happy about. But BC, I mean, the UFC had a choice, right? They had a choice. They could have picked other UFC lightweight candidates. And my understanding is they tried to get Gaethje, wasn't available. Who knows who, how, how else they, they went on, on the lookout for that, right? They still wanted a big name. They probably could have gone to Benil Dariush. But uh, he has the fight with Saryukian later. Who knows if he could have made weight. But that's not a big enough fight anyway. It doesn't really carry the same kind of significance. So they so that didn't work. And then they had opportunity to go to 145. And obviously pull up Volkanovski to get the rematch. That's a great choice. They took it. 
But there's another choice they could have made. They could have had Islam go to 170 and fight some kind of 170 candidate. Was Kamaru Usman available? I recognize once you go down the line from him, there are not as many people available. Gilbert Burns still getting back. Obviously, you've got Colby and uh, Hamzat's not even in the, in the weight class anymore. And you've certainly got Leon, who's occupied with Colby, Steven and Shavkat, like... A lot of that division is taken up. I don't think they wanted to use Bilal in that way, but the Kamaru option, if that was available, potentially solves a lot of different problems that now, if you bring in Volkanovsky, and again, if he wins, I mean, let's just be honest about it. If he wins, if Volkanovsky goes in there on 11 days notice and beats the lightweight champion, that's one of the most remarkable things you'll ever see in the sport. That's what he's trying here. That's on the why other it's hand, worth it. That's why it's worth it, Luke. Right there. Okay, okay. That's why it's but, worth but it. But you're robbing – fair enough. Fair enough. It could be. You could be right. I'm not even saying that's not true. But you are robbing Peter to pay Paul because now you don't have that January 20th headliner or whatever that was going to be for the Toronto card. Now you're going to have to find that. What happens at 145 if he ends up losing? And I don't think it's likely, but you never know. This is fighting. He could get knocked out, re-injured. Who knows? You just mess with that potentially that 145-pound picture in a lot of ways that are not the best. Max still being there kind of bails it out if you have to go the interim title route. But I'm just saying we should at least be honest about some of the risks involved, although I do think you're right. Because there is such a capacity for glory here, we have to we have to kind of just move forward with it. Yeah, That's what well, we look, have to do. We wanted this, or I want, I can't speak for everybody. I wanted this rematch badly. The first fight was close enough. Volkanovski's still the best fighter in the sport. He can become a two-division champion by beating the number two guy in the sport who looks almost untouchable in this division except for against Volkanovski. But I'm wondering, Luke, if we are going to be honest here, Oh, sorry. What, what I was saying there was we want I wanted that fight, but it wasn't looking easy to make because Volkanovski wanted to purry at first. And who knows what what the story will be after Charles versus Islam, too. Uh, now it's not happening at all. So I feel like this is the way to get something that was outside of the normal grounds of business. Right. Because Volkanovski is in a different division and we get it now. Last minute, it saves the event. But I think the save the event thing might be a bigger story than we're than we're realizing here. This is my take. This is my conspiratorial thing here. But Abu Dhabi has become a major for the UFC, and I'm only going to assume, Luke, that they that the that the promotion gets a shit ton of a site fee to not only keep going back there, but to keep going back there and put their best foot forward with big fights using fighters that are big in that area. Islam Mahachev, Hamza Chimaev, like that. In this regard, I don't know if subbing in any of the other factors would have remotely kept up the 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 musty quality of Islam in this main event in Abu Dhabi. So I wonder if there was if the UFC may have made it financially a deal Volkanovski couldn't refuse in that regard. Do you agree with that, Luke? That if this card was in Jacksonville, maybe you could sub in Usman and do a welterweight non-title bout. Maybe you could bring in a Darius or whoever, whoever in line can answer the phone. But since it's Abu Dhabi and they feel a responsibility, in my opinion, to deliver marquee matchups for the insanely large site fee that I'm assuming that they are recovering, which is why they keep going back there, that you kind of had to go, you kind of had a break glass in this case. I mean, you had to make a big splash with the headliner because we'll talk about the fact that remember the feature fight on this card which was supposed to be Nasruddin Imavov taking on Ikram Alaskarov that already got messed up so that's the first fight that's already messed up you also have a co-main event that appears to be either in jeopardy or already gone 
So that's certainly a question. And now your your headliner is in jeopardy as well. I mean, at least it was. They they fixed it. But you know, the point being is yesterday the UFC had a situation where the three fights at the top of the card had basically either go or, or going to or had already fallen apart. They had to go to the biggest guns. And there can be no denying going to the Kamaru Usman route at 170, even if it was available. By the way, I think he is Muslim too. I mean, there would have been some help in that regard. But I get what you're saying. Non-title welterweight fight, that's not as big. Usman, the rivalry is not as impactful as the Volkanovsky one. They broke glass and they went to the biggest possible opportunity they had outside of what they currently were booked for, which of course was Charles Islam too. No doubt about it. They went with biggest splash, biggest impact, biggest name. But they're rolling the dice on that. They're rolling the dice on this being, yes, this is far and away from a marquee um, top of the bill matchup. This is the best choice they could have made to retain sales, to have relevancy. Will it work out for them in the end? They are risking that. There are ways where it could. There are plenty of ways where it couldn't. That's always true, but it's hyper true in a situation like this. We're going to see what happens at UFC 294. Well, Mikey is uh, in our in our DMs, our <coughs> producer, pushing for Gilbert Burns to have. But been Gilbert's fight. recovering and from injury. I know, and 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 even though that that's a very good fight, I think with the uncertainty that Luke just said, with those three featured fights now in jeopardy, you you needed you needed to go big, dude. They went big, so let me stay stay right here. Hey, Dana, we'll get on you. Maybe sometimes too much. I'm not sure. It's up to the viewers' opinion about everything because that's our job, right? We're critics in this space. Dude, I can only applaud Dana White and company for swiftly turning this thing around and arguably, like I let off the segment, putting on a better, more important fight than the original, which we were all gung-ho for, Charlie Olive's getting a second chance. So let's listen in on Dana giving almost a live reaction here to media members after Tuesday night's Dana White Contender Series on how all this broke down. All of that is true. Um, he, uh, round five of sparring last night before, uh, you know, he's supposed to jump on a plane today, splits his, his eyebrow wide open and, uh, had it stitched up last night. Obviously can't, uh, can't fly out there with that. You know what I mean? It would be one thing too, if we, if we, he didn't, they didn't call us. We would have had him go to a plastic surgeon that would have sewed it from the inside out, you know, get that thing done the right way. These guys never call us like they should when something happens. They call us after they get it stitched up. But on the flip side, too, I could see him not wanting to, not wanting to risk it, getting a, getting a shot like this. And then, you know, that, the Volkanovsky crew, I mean, him and Israel, these guys are just absolute studs, man. He jumps in and, and he accepts the fight. So he basically took that fight with one phone call, it seems like. If, if Charles got cut last night, you call Alex, he says yes right away, two weeks notice, I'm in. One phone call, and I would have announced it hours ago, except I was waiting for the guys to wake up in Abu Dhabi to let them know before we reported it, but these guys that surround these guys down in Brazil just can't keep their mouth shut. You know, this came out of Oliveira's camp, apparently, and just fucking part of the business, you know what I mean? I would have liked to have talked to the powers that be in Abu Dhabi before it got announced, but... People can't keep their mouth shut for whatever reason. They want to act like they're in the know and and make these phone calls. So here we are. Hey, Luke. Uh, We're we're critical of Dana. This is a time where Dana did the right thing, Volk did the right thing, and gets a chance to win big here with 
with a with you know risk, but uh, but I don't think it it would damn him if he lost another competitive fight. But the fans win big. I mean, Abu Dhabi wins too. The fans win big. I mean, you could make the case that this is the most important fight to make in the sport because it's one versus two and it's champion versus champion. You could yeah. make that case. It would be true. You can't probably, make that but... case if you're rushing in on eleven days notice. If it's the most important fight in the sport, fighting in the sport, you can't make it on eleven days notice. I grant that it's of significant importance, but if you're pushing it on eleven days notice to counteract the loss of another main event, you can't really argue it's the most important. If it was the most important, you just wouldn't do that, right? It's a hell of a substitute, though, Luke. And like you know, sometimes oh, it's, they they bring good. your food to the table, and there's a hair sticking out of your steak, and they're like, "Oh, don't worry, we've got this completely ready, ready-made meal that's twice as good." Like this is a hell but, of a. But substitute. I, I want to say something. Like it's not a question of like criticizing Dana White or not. Like they have this incredible company that they've built they have these vast resources again to the point where i would argue they're a monopoly but okay that's not really the most relevant thing but oh i gotta sneeze jesus oh, in yeah. terms of uh it's one of those things where it comes in let it out just let it out already. there we go <clears throat> yeah. what i was gonna say was let's not lose sight of the actual important part of the conversation the credit goes to volkanovsky I mean, the reason why Dana is able to make these quick announcements is for the reason he said himself. They called Volkanovsky fresh off some surgery, not lined up for a fight, eyeing potentially January against, by the way, a very tough contender in Ilya Teporia, gets this call and immediately says yes, doesn't have to haggle, doesn't have to, well, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Nope, got it, great, we're on the way. Craig Jones already takes to social media to point out he's back in the airport to go and line up with, um, with, with of course, Volkanovsky to get ready for this opportunity here against Islam. Like, what made all of this possible is, both. by the way, the willingness of Islam to take a short-notice opponent, because he could have said no to, so I want to respect that, but it's Volkanovsky. It's Alexander Volkanovsky who under completely less than ideal circumstances for arguably one of the most important bouts of his career, could be anyway, just says yes anyway without any haggling. The reason why we're in the advantageous, and when I say we, I mean the fans, the media, and UFC, all of us, all of us, the reason why we're sitting in a very happy place despite this basically a calamitous collapse base of this sure. fight card is because of guys like Islam and more importantly, guys like Alexander Volkanovsky, big old brass balls to yeah. do oh. what he's doing. And it makes everyone else's life a lot easier. I was going to quote Treach and Chong and say what balls he has. And here's the deal on that. Um, I mean, first of all, what a man, what, what a, what a, what a mighty good man, Luke to do this when you're at the top of the sport Fuck it. Like, I thought Volkanovsky's immortality moment, where he crossed over from a very good, elite, potentially pound for pound best fighter of today to possibly being in consideration for all time greatness, maybe even upper room status, was the performance he put off one division higher against Machev in the first fight to show the added wrestling defense and just everything he showed the toughness, the adaptability. Even in a loss, he held his pound-for-pound pound number one spot because he fought that great. This is even ballsier, right? This is even more like, you know what? I mean, think about what he's saving here. The card, the promotion, the fans, the folks at Abu Dhabi. He's saving everything, and he gets to roll the dice on a, on a double down on his legacy on short notice that, again, short of getting knocked the F out in a devastating way, 
I don't think there's a ton of downside. Okay, what if he loses an aggressive, you know, fun decision? You say, hey, man, you came really close twice against a guy who may go on to also become one of the best all-time. Why don't you just go back down to your division and keep keep uh, defending it? There's that potential here. So, Luke, um, does this open up the door for something you teased earlier? The potential of Max Holloway versus Ilya Teporia for an interim title in Toronto in January. If that went down because of this decision, are you okay with that? I would be, but I, if I was Max, I would be... I don't know if I... I mean, that's a... It's a great fight. It's a great fight. It might be what we get. And if it is what we get as a headliner, you can't complain about its quality. I would say though that like I you know I I posted that this was right before all the news of everything falling apart you know uh, hit the public, but I was saying, dude, the fight that I really most want to see again, this is two days ago, is Volkanovski versus Ilya Taporia, and people were like, oh, Volkanovski is going to toy with him. Well, first of all, I don't know if that's true, but even if it was true, like any outcome there is really interesting, right? So if Volkanovski did toy with him, that would be mind-blowing because I think Taporia is probably the toughest challenge he's had since the first Max fight. Um, that's one thing. Or Taporia wins and he blows it all up, but there's that. But against Max, man, that's a fight I worry about Max's future for because Max obviously is still beating really good fighters, and you have to respect that, but we also know the miles are pretty significant at this point. Taporia is a fucking hammer. I think he's only getting better. He's still very young. He cannot be toyed with on the ground the way that Yair Rodriguez was. Like, I, I, I got to tell you, if you're a Max Holloway fan, I'm not saying Max can't win that. I don't think either he, I think either he loses that fight or he wins that fight in some kind of Pyrrhic victory where he's not the same afterwards anyway. So there's just a lot of ways where taking Volkanovski out of that 145 pipeline, assuming he's going to return at some point, to plug him into the 155 pipeline, again, we've been over it, a lot of reasons to like it, a lot of reasons to be happy, but the downstream effects from it for the weight class where he is actually the champion could be rather significant in all different kinds of ways for more parties than just yeah. himself. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I've shared my my fear for Max's long term because of those same reasons, but I also have to say that performance against Arnold Allen still showed me, at least, that he's still a title contender. So, you know, Max is going to say yes if they offer him to Poria in that spot. Especially uh, for, for an interim belt. Especially for an interim belt, you know? And don't forget, Toronto is also his uh, ninth island, 10th island? I can't keep up. I think is Vegas the ninth island? I can't even I keep up with it. Yeah, but the, the Canadians love Max Holloway, let's be clear. Indeed. Yeah, Mike Bowen and Aaron Bronstead, all them Canadians. Uh, Luke, <laughs> the name we haven't mentioned in this scenario is a guy who actually figures prominently because in the last few days there were reports that Mateusz Gamrod had signed on to be the backup for UFC 294. Obviously, he didn't get the call once Charles Oliveira opened up that cut. It appears, correct me if I'm wrong, that Gamrot would still serve in this role Correct. Uh, 11 days from now in Abu Dhabi to be the backup. What do you make of the, it's been a minor response, but there's been people on social media going, why the hell was Gamrot not called? In fact, there's been a ton of false reports on, on social media, including people making fake Red Okamoto accounts that are saying that Gamrot's so pissed, Luke, that he's choosing violence and he's flown to Vegas to confront Dane on the matchmakers. Turns out that's a bogus uh, report. But should we have sympathy for Gamrot? Should he have gotten the call? How do you read this whole situation? Now, did this phony Brett Okamoto account 
trick you? Uh, for like 10 seconds it did, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't... I mean, I know I, Brett I, better I, than I frankly Rodgers. don't understand what the big deal is here. You know, you guys know I'm not, like, shy about criticizing UFC decision-making one way or the other. Like, seriously, folks are going to be like, oh, yeah, they should have gone with Gamrot. I know who just, you know, had this win over Fazeev that was real weird because it ended an injury very quickly and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, did he even win the first round or not? I, you know, so I, I, I don't understand... Do they think that, A, that's a better fight, or B, that's a better headliner? Like, it's not a better fight or a better... I mean, I guess it could be a better fight if Volkanovski is really compromised, but in general, it shouldn't be a better fight. And more to the point, it doesn't hold nearly the same significance either for sales or for your business partners or any of that. Besides, if Gamrot... None of that even matters either, BC. Just think logically for a second. If Gamrot is the replacement in the way that people imagine him to be, and then they pull that trigger, and they're like, okay, well, now it's Islam versus Gamrot. Who's going to be the Gamrot guy on fight week? They have to find yet another guy in the event that someone misses weight, comes down with some kind of illness, blah, blah, blah. You guys know the story. Fights fall through on fight week, including headliners, all the fucking time. All the time. Gamrot is needed as the guy on fight week, where if they really can't get to the finish line, He's going to sub in in a way where you would still be happy under those circumstances sure. to get a fighter of that quality because he is high quality. He's a very high quality fighter and, you know, gives a relevant kind of challenge to Islam within the division. Okay, fine. Under the worst possible circumstances, you could pull him in. But if you still got some time to get a better headliner, why would you go with a guy who just headlined in an Apex show no one remembers? People, be serious. Be serious. This is the fight business. Of course they're going to go with somebody else and then keep him there for that security slot when fight week happens. That's the most logical thing. That's why the UFC did it. Yeah, and it's just it wouldn't be, it would not have been a sexy enough fight in my opinion. We wouldn't have been arguing how Gamrock can win where even on short notice, I think you can make that argument for Volkanovski because a lot of people thought they already saw Volkanovski win. Now, I scored that fight for Mahachev. I think he won it clearly meaning i thought it could have been 3 to 2 or 4 to 1 mahachev but you can't under you know under gloat about what volkanovsky did and about what the potential is even with the short turnaround to do it again to compete in this fight it, you had to do that uh luke charles Oliveira to do a postscript on him he did take to his instagram account to explain the situation and he said some of you already know that i'm out of the upcoming fight in my final training i clashed heads suffered a deep cut that needed eight or nine stitches it's a cut too deep to be able to fight everybody knows the importance of the fight it's not just a fight it's a title fight so there were great things involved we didn't want to go in there unprepared i know many people will judge people will talk but it's an important fight for us and we couldn't be there at 80%, we had to be 120%. So, Luke, you heard Dana's comments. Does he get next? Or is he? does Charles Oliveira lose his spot, lose his title opportunity? What's going to happen here? I think he gets next. Too exciting, too well-liked. There's no one else really for him to beat. Uh, like, even if Justin Gaethje were, I mean, is there appetite for Oliveira Gaethje 2? Like, yeah. I, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. really? Was well. that fight, the, was the first of those fights so competitive that you would want to see it again? Like, dude, Gaethje got run over. He kind of, yeah, he did. I mean, they traded early, but yeah, he, he a little bit, yeah, he, he combusted quickly. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you. You that. know, Gamrot's kind of interesting, but Gamrot can only win via wrestling, and it's like I don't know how that's going to go against Oliveira uh, exactly. I mean, maybe he wins. I, I don't know. 
yeah, dude, Oliveira is probably still going to keep his place just because there's not a lot of other great options, and he is a great option. Also, this is not some, he didn't tear his ACL, right? He didn't get a concussion where the timeline for a return couldn't be sometimes a significant amount of time. This should heal within three to four weeks, and he should be, I mean, a little heal quicker than that, but in terms of hard sparring, he could be back in three to four weeks. He should be fine. That's a, that's a different ball game. You can work with that, but but Dude, is no, that I don't safe? for what Dana was insinuating that he should have gone to the UFC meeting Oliveira. So they could have probably flew him to, to Vegas, gone to their doctors and sewed that from the inside out. What, so, this- yeah. So my daughter uh, had an accident one time with her caregiver at the park where she ran into a sign and she had to get 14 stitches on her forehead. It was probably the worst day of my life for her, if that makes any sense. Um, and they had to do seven on the inside and then seven on the outside. And they actually had to get a special, uh, surgical tech to do it to avoid significant scarring but you know what I remember from that day very clearly is what they told me is like okay this will be healed you know within like a week or so but it's going to be loose for like a month you know I, I, I I'm not a medical doctor neither is Dana but I think that you know he could have gotten that stitched in a way where maybe he could have fought but if he took one big shot, I'm fairly confident that thing would have busted wide open again. The skin doesn't heal very well, especially for a cut that size and that deep in 11 days or 12 days, whatever it was. It's, it takes more time than that. So maybe that could have saved it, but I, I, even that seems to me dubious, right? Yeah, uh, Luke, our friends, it's, it, it does seem dubious. Uh, I, I do agree. I think Charles made the right choice. No question about it. And I think his name is big enough, his accomplishments are big enough that he will get another chance without potentially having to take another big fight in between. I think he will. I think he will. Uh, Luke, Caesars didn't post early odds on here, but FanDuel has plus 200 Volkanovski, minus 265 Mahachev ahead of this October 21 rematch. Dude, that That's... sounds about right. Again, betting odds are designed to induce betting. Don't you feel like that odd's pretty fair? Although that That's line, excuse fair. me, is pretty fair? That's pretty fair. And in hindsight, Luke, do you remember how you scored that first fight? 3-2 Makachev. 3-2 okay. Makachev. There we go. We'll see what happens here in just 11 days. But we're going to have to see what happens here for topic number two on that co-main event. Hamza Chumaya versus Paulo Costa, which had huge long-term middleweight or maybe short-term middleweight title implications, especially if Chumayev had won. Well, the recent news the last few days, the scuttlebutt, was Paulo Costa posting on social media a picture of his elbow that was gnarly and indicating that he had surgery. Luke, how recent did he say he had surgery? Like three weeks, was it? Basically, yeah. Yeah. And now it seems overnight during the same cycle of which produced Volkanovski well, accepting... He didn't get it three weeks ago. He got it three weeks from the fight date. Three weeks as I understand from the fight it. date. Got it, got it. Okay. So there were a lot of questions of, of, is that a smart move? Is Costa actually going to be healthy? Now it looks like this fight is majorly in jeopardy, Luke Thomas. So what is the latest that you've heard about what the hell's going to happen in this co-main event? Well, I assume Chemayev's going to stay, but are they going to force Costa out out of fear? That his own injury isn't healed? I mean, dude, when he did that media appearance, he did a couple of media appearances. I know he did uh, Ariel's show. I think he did maybe a couple of other ones. You know, what, what? why did he do that? Why did he do that? Because he already knew the fight was in jeopardy and was making a public plea in the event that it got canceled that, like, 
A, I'm sure he actually does want to stay in the fight, but he also wants the public to know that he wants to stay in the fight. Like he, like he's trying to make the argument that I'm doing everything that I can. I will say that you know he's got a fraught history with getting to the finish line in some of these cases, um, or even when he does get to the finish line, everything he's doing in the lead up to the fight is less than optimal. I guess from a medical standpoint, and again, I'm no medical professional, but I guess from a medical standpoint, he really had to get the surgery that he got in order just 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 for. Um, his own health. And so there's the question of like whether or not it will impair him. Um, I, I, I don't think he's going to be able to fight BC. I really feel like once you go public with that, even if your intentions are to declare your willingness and what you perceive your ability to be, once regulators get a look at your arm still being wrapped up here, you know, less than two weeks from the actual fight itself, they're just going to have an extra level of scrutiny that's going to be overwhelming. And what's kind of interesting, BC, you asked like what we're hearing. Again, I'm sort of on the outside looking in, but I saw this float on my timeline, and here is what he said. Daniel Cormier has a new video he posted a few minutes ago where he says, quote, I know what is possibly in the works for the co-main event. If this co-main event comes together, UFC 294 will be even bigger than wow. it was announced. Now, of course, Paulo Costa also saying, quote, I'm not pulling out of this fight anyway. Let me fight the gourmet Chen Chen. I don't know what the hell that means. I am here in Abu Dhabi and prepared MTFK. Sounds racist, Luke, to me. <laughs> Just a heads up on that. But uh... I, I doubt it's I doubt it's the uh, the most progressive viewpoint, but neither here nor there. The the point I want to make was if this is true, and you know, Cormier could just be selling a line here, but I guess we'll see. If this is true, you have to ask yourself, who would fit the bill that would make that bigger? Because right now, that's a big fight. That's a yeah. really anticipated fight. Who would be bigger? Sean Strickland? Would they do that one? Could, could they do that one? I doubt it, right? So you're so, talking about they might call – so if DC's huge teasing corporate optimism here is correct – Right. You think they would pick up the phone, call Deshaun Strickland, who's bout about it Chewbacca style, we know that, and say, hey, we're going to need you to fly to Abu Dhabi and defend that title you just won against maybe the next big thing in the entire sport, who we were hoping could potentially run over, uh, you know, run over uh, Costa to prove that and get that shot. That would be, I don't know, I feel like that would be too big. Like, as big as Volk, the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter, accepting this rematch on 11 days' notice, which is big, big. Is, is Strickland going to say yes? I mean, he is about it, no. but that's I, I'm he just loses saying, all leverage. You lose all leverage. I'm asking this. Who fits that description? Who fits well, the description that Cormier is talking about that is a available substitute against Hamzat Chemaev at 185 that fits that description? Now, there, again, there a was bit? a video. Are you doing the Isaiah Thomas last stand? I fit the criteria a bit. Are you doing that? I'm not. What I'm saying is Gilbert has a video up saying or showing that um, that Kamaru was training. Maybe Kamaru could go to 185 and take on Hamza. To me, that wouldn't be bigger than Paulo Costa. That would not be. At 170, maybe. But if he's going up to 185, that to me is not as interesting uh, a fight. Okay, maybe I'm on the outside looking in on that one. I don't know. Look. Usman was himself the pound-for-pound pound king until consecutive losses to Leon. There had been the tease of him eventually moving to middleweight full-time. At one point, there was a light heavyweight potential move to avoid Adesanya. So if that's the case, I do believe from what DC's trying to imply that Usman would be big enough. 
former champion, former pound for pound king, needing a big comeback fight. I don't hate this, especially if the plan is to reinvent at 185. Well, how about you go in the deep end right here, right now? I'm not against that, Luke, at all. I think that that is... Okay, is it as important as the Costa fight given the potential title implications? I know you want to say no because Usman isn't proven in this division, but Usman is a better pedigree, more famous fighter than Costa, even if you want to argue that he might not bring the same danger at 185. And I think the stakes are still the same. If Strickland is not filling in and it's anyone else, the stakes for Chemaev are still the same. You go out there and look great, you're going to be fighting for the title potentially next. I mean, look, do you have a feeling right now of whether you believe Chemaev could cut the top of the line that includes DDP and Adesanya and secure a next title shot anyway should he finish whomever he fights on the 21st? I do think it's somewhat opponent-dependent. But I think he could, yes. Okay. I'm just going to say this, though. Like, Paulo Costa is a big attraction for the UFC. Certainly has a B-side. And fights balls out. Usman has a different kind of credibility, being the former welterweight champion, former pound-for-pound, pound, but now certainly on the back end of his career. But he doesn't fight balls out. He doesn't fight balls out at all. Uh, he is much more strategic persistent with his wrestling he doesn't do a lot of the wide open shit that Paulo Costa does so it's like I'm not saying that fight couldn't be good or exciting in fact I think that it could but it's definitely not in any way the same as what you were going to get with Paulo Costa so like when Daniel Cormier is hyping up a fight that's even bigger I'm kind of taking into question like what kind of fight are we going to get not just who's the opponent what name value is it but like what kind of fight are they going to provide what what does this look like and they don't all have to be crazy but I'll tell you this personally BC it's just me speaking personally. And maybe you have a different perspective. Maybe the audience has a different perspective. I don't know. But what would get me more excited for Hamzat Chemaev than what we have? Um, this is just, Strickland. again. Strickland would, right? Strickland would do that. But it, putting that aside, Bo Nickel would get me more excited, to be quite honest. Oh, boy. Bo Nickel. Oh, boy. Yeah, like that's a name you could be like, oh, holy fucking shit. What is about to happen here? Total mystery. Okay. Total mystery. Can I add to that Bo Nickel conversation? Um, the company's really high on Joe Pfeiffer. In fact, Dana said Tuesday night, like, we're going to listen to what Joe said and get a, get a deal done, a new deal done, like, ASAP. They wouldn't say, they, he's not in this discussion, right? Because I, I saw online that Vitor, Marvin Vittori was offered and couldn't do it. Bo is, Bo, in my opinion, from a wow factor, is just as big as Strickland coming in there, which is crazy because Strickland's a freaking champion, but it's just as big because Bo Nickel screams the future. Is Pfeiffer in that discussion too, or do you think it'd be more likely Nickel? Yeah, I don't think we're there yet uh, with Joe Pfeiffer. He's certainly, I mean, everything we said on Monday, I stand by. He's a bull. No, I meant, he, do you think he's being talked to about this potential opportunity? That's really what I'm asking. On the same level. I mean, as maybe as a, I, I doubt he is at the front of the line. Okay. Um, you know, well, you know listen, who's Usman's... trying to enter the line, Luke? A very famous name, a former middleweight champion at 8.30 this morning tweeted this. Are you ready for this? Here's the tweet. Okay. I'll be, I'd be down for that fight with Chemaev. Do you want to know who tweeted it? Whitaker? Chris Weidman, Luke. Chris Weidman. What? Oh. Chris Weidman, what are we doing here, bro? Yeah, no, Stop. no. Stop. I'm, I'm good on that. Uh, Imagine if it was Whitaker, by the way. Whoa, wait. Can't. Wait. Whoa, wait, Luke. Whoa. Is it Whitaker? Is it, is it Bobby Knox? 
Is I'd it? Be si- I'd be sized for that. For Whitaker versus Chimaev, I'd be super sized. That's what I'm okay. talking about. Like yeah. this Usman fight. I'm not. I'm not. Again, is Usman versus Chimaev bad? No. But at 185 on last short minute, you know, notice. I don't know how much interested I am. Whitaker, Whitaker, I'm interested. That gets I'm me out of bed, interested. dude. I actually okay. Clubhouse leader right now for for DC's comment. We threw out Strickland, which is ridiculous. We threw out Bo Nickel, which is ridiculous, meaning ridiculous in a good way. We would pop. I might pop more for a non-title Robert Whitaker fight, mostly because I thought he would have already been here in this fight right now. I didn't see the DDP, you know, come the DDP sizing come through where he just decimated him. So is is it not DDP as well in this discussion or no? Uh, okay, I'd be sized for DDP as well. I'd be sized for that. Yep. Now he Dude. might be in a position where he's like, I'm gonna wait for my title shot. So I don't know. I don't know if he takes a fight this risky. This, I mean, that's a very risky fight for DDP, just given the circumstances. It is. If I'm him, I don't do it because I might get. The, I, I might have already secured a title shot if I'm him. So yeah. I don't do that. I, if, I, if I'm him and Kamaru's willing to take it, I let Kamaru take it because if Kamaru wins, you're like dodged a bullet. You know, don't have to waste my time with this bullshit. Uh, and even if he wins, if he's made to look, you know, like he's good at 185, but not great, it doesn't disrupt anything he's built. You go and you take that fight, you slip and turn your ankle, Jemayev might be all over you, and now you've lost everything you've yeah. built. So DDP would be a great fight, but he's also a very unlikely candidate. Okay, no disrespect to, to Usman, but everything you said I think is right. Whitaker, I would pop. It matters. Obviously, Bo Nickel would might be, that might be the greatest prospect versus prospect fight in UFC history, Luke. Remember when we popped for John Jones versus Ryan Bader, two guys that were you know might have been the future of that division? This would be even more insane than that. Um, and then John Jones versus Robert Whitaker, also the most anticipated incredible. fight in MMA history. Look, I'm marking out right now. I have not marked out as a UFC fan in a while. In fact, you were lamenting when these fights were in jeopardy last night and we didn't know yeah. the fallout that we haven't really had a go-to marquee stop traffic, have to be there, let me put my phone off the hook, nobody contact me because I need to consume, I need to face F this fight that's coming. We've had that in boxing. We haven't Dude. had that in UFC. We might get two of them on the same night in three weeks or in, in 11 days on like zero notice, dude. And remember, I was on vacation for the O'Malley-Aljo fight, so I didn't get a chance to cover that one. We weren't involved. I was kind of on the outside looking in. You know, the last big fight experience I've had, and really the only big fight experience I've had this year, well, certainly by far the biggest, was Spence Crawford. Now, that was fucking (laughs) huge by anyone's measurement, but... I, you know, I haven't had that kind of big fight feel for MMA in some time. And then here comes UFC 294 around the corner before everything fell apart. And you're like, dude, look at this fucking card. This card is going to be everything we want. And then some, plus it's an afternoon card. So I don't have to go to bed at four in the morning, even better there. But then everything started falling apart. So they've saved the main event, which is by far the most important consideration. We've already been over that. I don't know who they're going to add in this co-main BC, but if Cormier is telling the truth and one of the the names we've identified goes through, even if it's Kamaru, I still think you have to be pretty happy with that. We already have a... uh, Alice Karov already has a a new fight. I'm not sure who... I forget who they picked him up against. Um, Yeah, we'll get to that on this show. Um, I I wanted to say, though, that I don't want it to be Strickland because I I don't want Chemayev to go from missing weight and a... Like, Chemayev was given the most showcase pay-per-view main event you could possibly have against an exiting Nate Diaz in a fight that nobody was going to give Nate an, an ounce of hope to do anything but get cut and show his toughness. 
I don't I don't want that to be a reward, Luke. Even though he went out and, and beat Kevin Holland so fast that it kind of took away some of the negative shine of that whole weirdness surrounding that event, you can't go from that to a title shot. You can't. That's no. almost like Holly Holm coming off two losses and fighting GDR <laughs> for the title. Like, come on. Yeah. Look, look, look how good that went. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, also, Luke, uh, I believe we've got some sound from the Dana White Contender Series. Are you in? Uh, oh, we've got some sound about Dana talking about the Costa situation. Let's see if we can g- gain any insight from the boss here. Paulo Costa went public and said he had surgery three weeks ago. Is there any danger that that fight could be off? Uh, yeah, it's possible. When do you think we'll get a verdict on if he's going to be able to fight or not? Very soon. Okay. Very soon. Is there another Unless announcement? another Big mouth pops up out of somewhere, and you know what I mean? So, yeah. Hopefully within a couple hours, I'll have an answer for you. Do you guys, I mean, you kind of alluded that, you know, the, the cost of fight is up in the air. Do you guys, like, have a couple backups? Like, is there someone ready, ready to go in case Costa can't go? We're talking to a couple people right now. Yeah, a couple absolute studs. You know what I'm talking about? Um, it, Maybe this is just yay UFC day for your boy BC on the 500th episode. But I'm all in right now on this card, on Dana. We're going in the right direction. We're making huge fights. I can't wait for MSG. I can't wait to see what that December card fully looks like. And I'm actually pretty excited about this one thing Dana did. Um, Mikey, can we show that one sound about the new matchmaker thing? Or are you trying? Oh, no, we can't. All right. Look, did you see that the UFC hired this? Uh, they had this fan contest to, to try to hire a new matchmaker, and the guy's so good that they're already having him make fights? Like, this is awesome. Imagine that. Imagine being that guy. Imagine, didn't, like, they, didn't they say that they had this woman who worked in, like, like the WNBA who was also making fights, and then that they just stopped doing that? I don't know. I did not hear that with... story. I did not hear that story. But I'd have to say, if I'm looking to, to show some positive shine at a company – they opened it up to their hardcore super fan. They got a guy who like knew every fighter's name, knew every ranking, knew everything, all of that. And they gave him the job and he's awesome and he's delivering. Okay, we do have the sound, Mikey. Let's hear from Dane on here. I love this story. This is great. It's great stuff. Speaking of the matchmaking room, the UFC posted a video of you and uh, Joe, the guy who won the matchmaker sweepstakes. You mentioned that you were going to make some fights with Joe at the matchmaking meeting since you broke some news today. Could you care to share some of the fights you guys made? You want to know how fucking good Joe is? How good is he? I just hired Joe. <laughs> Joe works for us now. Is he going to be one of the matchmakers? This fucking kid is awesome. Yeah. I literally just back there. I did all the contracts, and I came back in. I said, I got one more. You want to work for the UFC? He freaked out. He is a fucking UFC lunatic. He went toe-to-toe with the boys today. He knew every, you bring up a guy on the roster that he don't know. He knows everybody on the roster. And uh, he actually, so, so he did make a fight today. So um, apparently he was down in the, Lene came in my office this morning raving about the kid. Oh, this kid's awesome. We love him and this and that. And uh, he met a bunch of fighters uh, in, in the PI today. And one of them was Cody Garbrandt. And, and they were talking and I guess Garbrandt said, listen, if you're the matchmaker for a day, I, I want to fight in December. So he came in and started pitching us on fights for Cody Garbrandt in December, and he made a fight. Could you care to reveal what fight? Nah, you we'll let it, we'll, we're ready. But I don't want to say it before the fucking kids even know that they're fighting, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> um, they don't know yet. But, uh, yeah, so Cody, good work. You, you, you got it done. He's fighting in December. Awesome, and uh, we're not. And you know what Joe's wife does for a living? They live in Detroit, Michigan. Guess what Joe's wife does for a living? 
She was a blackjack dealer. <laughs> Do we know what Joe's going to help out? What division of fighters? We're working on it. I'm actually going to hand him over to Hunter and let Hunter figure out where he's going to where he's going to go. Awesome. Well, look, the bad news is we're probably about two years away from Dana White saying on camera, Joe the fucking matchmaker was never my friend. But for right now, like, this is awesome, right? This is great. This is great. Imagine right now, he's right now, everyone loves him and he's important. Give it a couple of years, he'll be persona non grata. But uh, hey, it's a good day to be Joe, right? I had to, I had to have that. I had to play that because I think that's freaking awesome. Okay, rather than winning a bunch of Howlerhead, Luke, this guy won a job as a matchmaker. So that's great, great shit. Is he uh, on a ten and ten contract as well? I'd be curious to know. Yeah, no, twelve and twelve. That's that's the standard <laughs> rate from the contender. Series. Oh, they raised it. They raised. <laughs> Call it, Jason yeah. House for more. All right, let's go to topic number three, and it's staying in the UFC. Apparently, we're going to stay in the Apex again, Luke. It goes down Saturday. It's fight night. Uh, what are we calling this one? Fight night 230 or UFC on ESPN plus 88. Look, if you are somebody who knows that this is UFC on ESPN plus 88, you either should be the next matchmaker or you should get a life, right? You should get a life. I mean, you if you actually, I, I, I do this for a living and even I had to look that up. Now, the card itself, um, you know, has a couple of interesting names here or there, but BC, what? let me ask you. So they're yeah. purposely going to the apex for a lot of reasons. One, it's cheap, it's convenient, it's easy. The fans don't seem to care. They can put these like nubber cards together where it's got like a fine fight as a main event, but it's not really a main event. But you know, you can't complain about the fight. It's a good fight. In this particular case, Sadiq Yusuf and Edson Barboza, two thumbs up. I'm happy about it. But it's not like main event, you know, in that sense. But. What it does is it makes them go on the road less, so it creates more demand when they go on the road. They can stack those cards a little bit easier because they've taken all the filler for the Apex cards. It just doesn't do anything for a show like this. No. Where When I tell you that fans don't, like the average fan doesn't care about these Apex cards either coming or going, I'm overselling it. Like they don't care at all all about these things and for a card of this quality which is like you said i mean it's a hardcore card there's a couple you know there's a couple of good things on here but to me it should be either in the apex or in moncton or fucking uh sioux falls or something you know what i mean like you either go somewhere that, where they're an underserved market where they'll scoop up all the tickets anyway or you go it's just when they put when they're still putting good fights and good cards in the apex that's when i have my issue but luke this featherweight tilt in the main event 30 year old sadiq Yusef. The only loss in his UFC run was three fights ago to Arnold Allen, and he's welcoming in the forever young 37-year-old Edson Barbosa, who proved last time out against Billy Q that if you F around with this guy, you will find out. But he was also in, would you call it, like, not just the best shape of Barbosa's career, he might have been in the sickest physical shape any fighter's ever been in this last fight. Abs for years, Luke. He's proved in that fight that he's still a viable dangerous out what's at stake here what are your emotions heading into this one i'm not really sure i mean to me it seems like it's a question about what they're going to do with sadiq yusuf sadiq yusuf came uh he by the way trains at a camp springs maryland team lloyd Irvin, uh close to dc area and i you know he's 30 years old right has not been super active. He seems like a very bright guy. He's obviously very funny as well. If you've ever seen his uh, predictions that he does, I forget the name of it. But, um, but I still think there's a question of like what they're going to do with him. Like where is he going to fall in the pecking order? Barboza did look good in his last fight, certainly from a physical standpoint. He got the win. 
But you know, you kind of know what you have with Barboza at this point. He is an elite test, but he's a, he's he's just that. He's a test for the other guys who are going to be doing, I think, either really poorly, not poorly, but not going to make much of themselves in the division or move up and really go and do something else beyond that. They're, I think they're trying to see what they're going to get out of Sadiq Youssef in that regard. Just an absolute barn burner of a fight. And he had some big wins, some big knockouts. But again, he's been a little bit uh, inactive. He's been injured at times. He just hasn't quite turned the corner in the way that you might imagine. He did lose to Arnold Allen back in 2021. It's been some time since then. He beat uh, Alex, your favorite, Casares. And then he beat Don Shanus. But Don Shanus went right back to Cage Titans after a two-fight stint where he lost both fights in the organization. So we've only seen him that one time since the Arnold Allen loss. And he again, he looked fine. But I think if you're asking the bigger question here, what's the relevance? The relevance is, what's up with Sadiq Youssef? Where is he going to end up? What's he going to look like? What's the high watermark? What's his development going to show us here? A test against Edson Barboza. And remember, Youssef doesn't go for the takedowns. In fact, BC, I have some of the stats here, if I may. Sure. Takedowns uh, attempted, uh, or should, I should say takedowns scored per 15 minutes, 0.18 for Sadiq Youssef. Even Edson Barboza, who doesn't go really for takedowns, 0.38 takedown accuracy for Sadiq Youssef 12%. 12%. He just it's not a big part of his game, so he's going to have to slug it out with Edson Barboza. It's a big test for him. It's a really big test for him. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh Youssef ranked number 11 at featherweight. Barboza 13 after that win, but Barboza in the last 6 years this is going back to his devastating UFC 219 loss to Habib where he took a tremendous beating. He's four wins, seven losses. So, Luke, this reinvention here, uh, he's three and three since cutting down to 145. But it does feel like there was some sort of transaction in the Billy Q camp and the performance and the win that maybe there's a fountain of youth turn here. Am I just, like, so overwhelmed by his abs in that fight and the fact that it was a little bit vintage because Billy Q kind of squared up and overextended and got served for it. Is that really who Edson is at this age? It can be. I mean, that's sort of the point, right? I mean, the idea here is that against guys like Bryce Mitchell, or obviously they fought Habib a long time ago, but against guys who are going to really put him on his heels, make him back up, not let him settle his feet, mix up the different portions of the game, because it's not just on the ground, but you know you really have to have that as a threat. At least, or I should say, the guys who have had that as a threat have had some some success with him. Um, although not entirely, Chikazi didn't do it that way either. But you know, you got to put, you got to, you got to pressure into him. You have to really kind of go after him. I think Yusuf can do that, but the question is, can he manage that and manage to not get hit as much as he otherwise might? He absorbs three point six five strikes per minute. It's a little on the high end for Sadiq Yusuf. It's a little on the high end. Now Barboza's even higher at four point one two. But remember, a lot of that comes from ground and pound. So you're asking, like, is that the real Barboza? Well, depending on what kind of game plan the opponent tries to apply, it certainly can be. And that's why the Sadiq Yusuf fight is really interesting. If, he, if, if the wrestling component is really not going to be there, and I guess we'll see, but if it's not going to be a big part of his game, and he can kickbox, but is primarily, I think, doing some of the better work with his hands, he's going to have to really pressure into Barboza, get him backed up, get inside that space, and then also, you know, 
who was it, Nazim, Brother Nazim, who said this, uh, Richardson? Yeah. You know, swim without getting wet. He's going to have to kind of figure out that a little bit, where he's right in the danger line, right in that space, but his weapons are more applicable in that range than Barboza's, and then slug it out with him. That's a fucking tough way to beat Edson Barboza, man. That's not an easy way to beat him at all. So, again, this is why, to me, it's like it's a much bigger question about where Sadiq Youssef is and where he's going than it is for Barboza, who you've kind of had that answered for you a little bit. For sure. Uh, right now, Caesars has Barbosa as a plus 140 underdog at age 37. Minus 165 is Yusef. So, look, a lot of respect. A lot of respect being given to the old guard here. Is that Tukey's club? Yeah, it says play together. Play together. All right. Uh, Luke, I've told that, that you should that be the message of our uh, our old school RSDs. We just play together. I, I've told you that story before when I was at ATT to do that sit down with Jorge Masvidal, uh, which which came in the build up to the Ben Askren fight. And I heard the most vicious sound I have ever heard in my life. And I look, I've been to a couple MMA gyms to do interviews. I've heard people hitting pads. Look, I, you know, I, I know the chatter out of my ear. I'm like, is somebody getting beaten with a baseball bat? No, it turns out it's just a shirtless Edson Barbosa kicking the shit out yeah. of the coaches who's holding the giant pad thing. And just, I mean, I can't even believe the sounds that came out of that. Yeah, dude, he is a formidable striker and in particular a formidable kicker. The power he can generate is absurd. I'm telling you, th th listen, that's what I mean about this main event. Like, I'm not complaining about the fight. It's a sick fight. It's a great yeah. fight. It doesn't have the grandeur or the divisional significance. Both guys, to your point, sitting outside of that top 10. So it doesn't meet some of the more common criteria that you would place on a main event. But just as a fight in terms of quality, and again, as a fact-finding mission about where Sadiq Youssef is headed, dude, two thumbs up. This fight should be a banger as long as it lasts, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple other fights on here that have banger potential or at least individual storylines we need to follow. But before we get there, I don't know if Wikipedia is going to hold up as true here for the co-main event, but is it really going to be Jennifer Maya versus Viviane Arujao in a flyweight tilt when Arujao has lost three of four? Is this really the co-main? What? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, okay. well, I mean, you know, it's the apex. But, okay. dude, that's not the fight you should be paying attention to. No. The one that the the one that's really got me, you know, uh, hot under the collar, Jonathan Martinez taking on the return of Adrian Yanez, which yes. is, by the way, don't white, BC. Don't white boy that. Don't white yeah, boy that. BC, yeah. do you like how right about that I've been? Anyway, but here we got. About, we time. Have, about time, Luke. About time you nail one, all right? It, it, it ain't the only one. The fact you're, you're just now catching up, but okay, I'll give you time to catch up. But BC, how about this fucking win streak from Jonathan Martinez, bro? So he loses to Davey Grant back in 2021, has a few fights canceled, then beats this kid actually here out of Northern Virginia vis a vis Georgia, Zaviad Lazish. I, I can't pronounce his last name. Lazishvili, Lazishvili, I'm not sure how to say it. He's Georgian. Then he beats Alejandro Perez. Then he beats Vince Morales. Then he stops Cub Swanson. Then he beats Saeed Nurmagomedov. Yanez coming off that terrible fucking loss to Rob Font. Definitely looking for a comeback opportunity. This is a great fight. This is a sensational fight to figure out for both guys. Hey, Yanez, is he going to get back on the horse and kind of live up to some of that hype that was happening. A guy like Martinez, who I don't think had a ton of hype at first, but has slowly built himself up into something very formidable. 
bantamweight division, another banger. Count me in. What what the hell's wrong with Saeed, <laughs> Luke? Why is he not in our cupboard? He's got the name. So he is not affiliated with the Abdul Manap team, as I understand it. He oh, is okay. That would uh, explain it. That would. He's on the outside it. looking in. Yeah. All right, that was easy. There you go. Yeah, yeah look, I want to see what what Yanez here does here. This is first back from the knockout loss, correct? First fight back. Yes, he has not competed since then. Yes, yes, yes. He's going to have to show us something. He's got got incredible striking. What are you looking for? Anything in particular for him in this fight coming off of that one? So Yanez has he has great boxing, but we've been talking about it. Guys like JDM. I had a long talk yesterday with uh, shouts to CSA Jim owner and head instructor, Kirian Fitzgibbons. This guy's trained world champions in Muay Thai and MMA for a long time. And we were talking about like what the future of striking might look like. I don't want to spoil the interview. It's a long one. It's about an hour. But one of the things he said that we both agreed on, and, and he had really laid into some details, was you know, when you, when you first learn any kind of martial art, uh, you learn the offense first. People want to learn how to throw a punch. People want to learn how to throw an uppercut or a leg kick or execute a takedown or a guard pass. You want to learn how to do stuff, how to move the action. But as you progress, you realize you need defense as well, and then the two have to kind of mold. Now, I'm not saying that you know Yanez is some kind of inexperienced white belt. That's not what I'm saying. But the overall fight game, you're now seeing guys getting a little bit more defensive sensibility or really a defensive foundation and building their offense around it versus the opposite. Yanez needs to have better defense. He gets hit way too much. He allows guys, even the Rob Font, allowing him to establish a collar tie. Like you just can't do that. You just you cannot accept that kind of punishment. So we already know he's got the offensive firepower. We know he, we, he knows how to put guys away. He, that's how he won on the contender series, not the guy out with a head kick. But now we need to see him take care of himself, put himself into position, get out of position, do the damage that he can do, and then keep the fight alive as long as it needs to be rather than kind of yeah. gunslinging a little bit early and then making adjustments after the fact. Agreed, agreed. This would be a big bounce-back opportunity for him. Should have been the co-main event. Hopefully it'll end up there. But, Luke, a lot of interesting intrigue about the decision-making here in this next fight. Michelle Pedeta has won five straight at welterweight was supposed to fight Steven Thompson in a key matchup to find out whether Pedeta was really closing in on true title contention. He missed weight. Wonderboy didn't take the chance. Now Pedeta's at middleweight against Andre Petrosky. Uh, does Is this a long-term reaction to that short-term problem, or, or, or what's the deal here? Um, I don't hate this fight. I don't think it's a, like, hotly anticipated or something, but Pedeta has certainly turned it around and become, speaking of like better defensive sensibilities, I think Michelle Pereira speaks very strongly to what I'm identifying as, you know, Johnny Walker as well. And we'll see you in a few weeks or whatever. But um, Petrosky is a guy who, what did he do? He came in and just, you know, ran over uh, the, the Nate Diaz teammate, Nick Maximov, like it was nothing. I think he subbed him out in like a round. Um, and he's had a couple of fights since. And he had the fight against, I think, Mearshard as well. Um, you know, I think... He has got a little, he's got a physical game. He's got a little bit more of a meat and potatoes, almost more of a ground based game as well. I think that's actually going to be a pretty interesting test for Pereira. Uh, Pereira is obviously a great dynamic athlete, but I don't know that he's got all of the wrestling fundamentals in the place that he needs to. Petroski is going to be a good test to see how much he's actually made some real, meaningful, helpful, valuable 
improvements in that particular regard. So if he really is going to do... Listen, would it have been fun to see him against another striker and they could have done acrobatic things? Of course. But if Pineda, who, by the way, is not old, I think he was, he 27, 28, something like that. 30, now he's 30. But still, not old. He'd been in the game for quite some time. If he's really going to make a move in this division, guys like Petroski, he should be able to handle that. And if he okay. can't, it kind of tells you where he is in his real development. So when you say in this division, are you talking about middleweight? Does this look, because look, he was supposed to face, Pedeta was supposed to face Marc-Andre Berrio, who pulled out on just a few days notice with medical right. reasons. So Petroski comes in with the 10-1 record last minute, but this was a middleweight bout initially against uh, Berrialt. So after missing weight by three pounds, does this tell you that Pedeta has made the full-time move ultimately here, Luke? For some tell- reason, oh, there you go. Yeah, there I, lost go. I hit the mute go button ahead. by accident. Is this telling you that Pedeta has made the full time move? So when you say in this no, no, division, no, 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 no. Sorry, let me. You're right. What I mean to say is the kind of challenge that Petrosky represents, not a 185 venture. Although uh, I suppose since he's had some weight miss issues, that could be part of it as well. I still think he wants to get down. If I'm not mistaken, didn't he? He had the weight miss issue back in July, right? Didn't he have it in the end of July? He had a weight miss issue. Um, so Who are you talking I think about? there's part. Say again. Who are you talking about? Pereira. Pe- yeah, we. T- that's what we just talked about like three times. You missed weight by three pounds. Yeah. So right, right. Sorry. So my point being is the 185 thing. What I'm trying to say is the 185 thing. I don't think is permanent. So when I'm talking about his long term potential, I'm still referencing a return to welterweight. The point is, at 185 or even whatever, Petroski looks like the kind of guy who, if you're not buttoned up, sure. if the parts of your game in the grappling department are not buttoned up, he can expose it. Not that I'm advocating that this new future will take place at middleweight. I apologize for any of the uh, confusion. No, I, but that's I, I just I mean. wonder what Pineda is going to look like here. He was already an absolute brick shithouse at welterweight, so if he missed by three pounds in what was the biggest fight of his career, I guess that tells you that... that He's going to have some trouble making that, and that his body is outgrowing it at age thirty. I mean, he's right. ripped and jacked be. and bulked. So, I mean, I don't. But know. also, this is- for a guy who was fighting earlier in his career, doing backflips and fucking doing yeah. the robot and shit, you know, there's a question about whether or not he was <laughs> taking this as seriously as he was supposed to. Does he have the right kind of nutritionist? Does he have somebody who really knows how to cut weight and get him down to where he needs to be? Now, the answer is maybe. But we should have some skepticism about Pedeta's, you know, yeah. button upness. Hey, Pedeta, call Chef Cass right now. He'll get you down to that weight, no problem. But look, this is going to be interesting to just see what he looks like at middleweight and whether this is a, a proper direction for him moving forward. So much talent, but just find like Johnny Walker, just finding that right balance of of the theatrics and the 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 cockslinging, Luke, if you will, in Scotland, right? Would you? I would. Just you know? the old. Yeah. Just we should just start calling Johnny Walker Snuffleupagus, yeah. right? Yeah. Just letting that, just letting that thing hang and drag on the ground. You know what I'm saying? He's like, who wants to get dicked down? That's what it is. Uh, Luke, this uh, prelim, who wants to sex Dikembe? Who has a uh, feature bout of featherweight Darren Elkins and T.J. Brown that'll probably turn into blood? But what do you think about lightweight Terrence McKinney returning for the fourth time this calendar year against Brendan Marot? So I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know a lot about Brendan Marot um, because I don't. He is 8-1. and one. Uh, He is 26 years old. His nickname is The Kid. It's a very original nickname. Uh, this will be his UFC debut. Um, 
Terrence McKinney, on the other hand, loves to stay active, loves to be continually turning around. As you indicated, last uh, fight in August, so now we're just two months, not even, two months. Well, yeah, it's two months as of tomorrow um, that he fought. So, listen, it's hard to get active in the UFC. It's hard to get this many fights. He's following a kind of game plan that he wants. I will say it's probably not a big deal to take a short-notice fight against someone who's making his UFC debut. That's probably not the end of the world. But I also think, BC, for his long-term development in 2024, probably dialing down the frequency to a degree would help him. I, I, you know, There can be moments where taking a bunch of fights can be a really great idea. That's true. But I also feel like for McKinney, how old is McKinney? McKinney currently sits at, yeah, he's at 29 years of age. This should probably be the last short-notice fight he takes for some time. We'll see. Some people just like to stay active, keep getting those checks. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Bantamweight Chris Gutierrez, who had that eight-fight unbeaten streak, which included yes. the knockout of Frankie Edgar in the final fight. And then, Luke, he had, he was leveled out a bit here against Pedro Munoz. He's coming back against uh, Alatang Hali. Uh, do you, does Chris Gutierrez still have a top-end run in him at Bantamweight? Yes. Uh, yes, I, I think the jury, well, I should say this, the jury's still out on exactly how far he can go, but to, to your point, like, should we have a high degree of enthusiasm about him? Yes, we, we should. He has shown considerable ability. Yes. And a, a, the curtain, the curtain jerker will take us to the women's strawweight division, Ashley Yoder against Emily Ducote. Yeah. The old pants, huh? Not the pants. The old pants. The curtain jerker that's your oh yeah UFC so someone's gonna be behind a curtain jerk and it's gonna be you night card this saturday i can't you see you're forgetting this. one you're forgetting one christian rodriguez taking on cameron simon cameron simon undefeated out of south africa has looked pretty good through i think a couple of ufc fights christian rodriguez was the guy who just beat well in his last fight anyway raul rosas jr now he oh, did miss right. weight for that contest a little bit right he did miss a little bit but he kind of showed some real great ability. Duke Roof is trained. That's a 135-pound fight. Be on the lookout for that one as well. Do you think they, they'd run back a rematch for Rojas of that fight? I, if I was Roja, Rosas, not Rojas, if I was Rosas Jr., I would not do that. Oh, yeah, actually, can I correct all of my – you don't have to dead wrong me on Friday. It's Raul Rosas Jr., so let me get that right. And also, Luke, the Dana White Contender Series contract award winner from Bolivia, his name apparently is not Jorge Rivera. It's Jose – Medina, thank you to right. all the very kind people who DM'd me to let me know. I know, know BC's how. like, yeah, and the uh, the guy who won a contender series, what's his name? Uh, Pinochet. Uh, yeah, Martinez. Pablo Escobar. Like, what the fuck? Who's just yeah, some guy? Garcia. Yeah, something like that. There you go. All right, topic number four on this anniversary edition of this incredibly lauded, award-winning program. It's some fight news and announcements, and this one's kind of big. Curtis Blades is out. We thought he was going to face Jalton Almeida in the main event November 4th, a fight night bout. He is injured, but Derek Lewis is going to try to be back with a bang. Look, this has the potential to go disastrously for the Black Beast, or it could yep. be one of those times that he comes in and stops somebody's forward momentum as violently as possible with a big right hand. Are you more or less excited by this switcheroo? I'll say this. I would have rather seen the Curtis Blades fight, obviously. Here's what's funny. Even Gordon Ryan, when I spoke to him, was like, there actually is something to the idea of just stand up in jiu-jitsu when you have someone who's got the kind of strength and proportions 
of someone like Derek Lewis, there can be a little bit to that that is worth taking seriously, you know, and how to hold someone down and what that means. And, you know, especially when they're big and strong. I will laugh my ass off if Derek Lewis gets taken down, just stands up, and then knocks out Jailton Almeida. Because if he just knocks him out before getting taken down, it doesn't help the cause. But if he gets taken down, stands up from it, and then KOs Jailton Almeida, it'll be the greatest day for jiu-jitsu haters, really in world history. Yes. It'll be it'll be it'll be quite quite epic. I would I, I'm wanting to see that, but me I would have rather have had Curtis Blades. Yeah, me and Burnell are gonna go crazy over the end of BJJ. Finally, Luke, the thing that founded this sport finally dies. And we can get back to man fighting. Uh let's keep it going here. December 9th, we have a uh we got a shakeup. There was a report out there that Peyotr Jan or Pe- what's the what's the accurate pronunciation there? I think the way you say it is P. Odor. What is it really? What what should it be? I think it's like almost like there's a Y there. Piotr? Piotr. Piotr. Piotr Jan and Song Yadong, which would have been a hell of a fight. Jan's injured though, he's out. But we got a couple changes here, uh, or we got a change on November 4th. November 4th is the Derek Lewis Jalton Almeida change that we talked about. But on that card, Kyle Barajo was originally supposed to face Nursultan Ruzabov. That gentleman is out, but not a plane, train, or automobile, Luke. A bus. Magomedov is back from the knockout loss to current. Boy, does that win or does that loss now gain more credibility to current middleweight champion Sean Strickland? Uh, this is a big moment here for for old Abus Luke. Caio uh, Bar- Barajo uh, comes to bang. So, two you know R- so remember, if it starts with an R, it's an H. If it's two R's together in the middle, it's an H. So I believe it's Bohalio. Caio Car- Bohalio is the one with the full full throat tat, right? The aggressive yeah. one. Uh, this is kind of an interesting matchup. Do you think they cut Magomedov and just cut the back of his shorts on the way out of the cage if he loses? Yeah, I mean, Bohalio should be able to take him down and control him. So I, okay. I'm expecting it to look that way. Um, what does he have tattooed on his throat? It's like vote or die. What is it? Yeah, it's something like that, like uh, freedom or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Something, some very aggressive, you know. What is it? Uh, now you got me intrigued. Now, you know, I don't know. I want to stop being. Mikey, what does his tattoo say? Do we remember? It's like I'm free. It, it says free. Uh, Free spirit, Luke. Free spirit. Free I have spirit. to say, the quality of the writing is very Darren Elkins chest-like, Luke. Yeah, yeah. It's, which means it's not my cup of tea. But you know, I didn't, I didn't dunk on Mister Hebos for you know shout attributing the rest of his life, Luke. He has Emily Whitmire right here. The rest of his life, or the rest of his or some life. sketch, some sketchy half-done version. Yes. I mean, I've considered getting that same tattoo right here, Luke. Just so you know, okay. But that's another story. Hey, another change that you mentioned earlier in the Abu Dhabi card, UFC 294, Ikram. Alaskarov will now be facing Worley Alphas. Alves. Worley Alves. Didn't that guy once beat Colby, Luke? He did. He guillotined him. He guillotined him. Uh, do you, Vorley do you still Alves. like this fight? It's a late replacement. Do you still like it? Um, I'm glad that he's got a replacement. I guess, I guess the way I would say it is I'm glad he's still competing and he's on the card. I don't think it's as much of a blowout as other folks might imagine. I do think Alaskarov will win. Alves has not been the same kind of ferocious fire eater that he once was. And so it kind of diminishes it for me. But 
Alaskarov against Imovov, that was a really big jump from where he's been. And I'm still, again, I'm still pretty high on him. Uh, but it just, in all likelihood, Alaskarov wins and it doesn't tell us much. And I just don't know yeah. what to do with that other than just be happy he competed, you know. All right, be honest. What, where does Alaskara fit on your pound-for-pound pound boner list? If we have Adesanya 1, Volkanovski 2, Shavkat 3, uh, Adrian Yanez 4, uh, who else do you have a, a massive throbber for, Luke? Uh, I'm forgetting now. Not, not JJ, nope. Canela nope. skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, does He's up high, Luke. He's up high on that list, right? Yeah, he's up high. He's right. he's pretty great, but a little bit unproven. A little bit unproven uh, in terms of just the. Yeah, I haven't just gotten a good look at him against a real talented middleweight who can sort of show a lot of different looks. Vorli Alves is a threat, but he's not that guy, right? So, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, topic number five sets the stage for what has to be the most. <laughs> This Saturday, Luke, what has to be the fight that is the fight card that is going to grab our attention the most? Now, to correct, isn't this Saturday also the international Showtime boxing broadcast of uh, Tim Zhu against Brian Mendoza? Yeah, which is actually people will sleep on that fight. That's actually a pretty decent fight. Very good fight for the WBO 154 title. Remember, Jermel got got stripped on the way into the Canelo fight. So now we've been counting out Mendoza a couple of times, and on a couple of times he's been laying people the fuck out. He's a big puncher. This is a this is an all right fight by me. That's Saturday on Showtime. Check that out. They're going to be calling that from the New York studio. The fight takes place in Australia. But what has a lot of people talking in the crossover level is what DAZN's bringing us, a pay-per-view Saturday in the U.K., headlined by KSI versus Tommy Fury. But that co-main event pairing Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis and the prospect of Mike Perry potentially coming in as the late replacement it's been all we've been talking about for months. Why? Because Dylan Dennis online assault against Logan Paul's fiance over her sexual history, Luke, has led to lawsuits, restraining orders, and the threat of an opponent change. And we have to say, this would Can be we talk dr- about that. This would be a dramatic opponent change if Mike Perry came in for Dylan Dennis and boxed Logan Paul. I set all this up to ask you this, Luke. We're kind of like waiting around for when is the death of this bubble, this crossover celebrity carnival boxing bubble. Remember, it thrived during the pandemic with Triller and we brought back Mike Tyson and Jake Paul still still doing big things here in this business. Is this fight the last big event in this bubble before it bursts? No, because no. because we all got seduced by the drama, or is this maybe the beginning of a new era? Because let's be honest, if Dylan Dennis and Logan Paul didn't stir up all this shit, I'm not sure we really would care. Now I care like way too much. So what does this event mean in the larger picture? It doesn't mean shit, except for the people who are involved. Um, it means fuck all. Um, it's I think it's big in the in the bubble. It's big, man. Oh, it's big. I mean, don't get me. This is the biggest fight. I mean, the pay per view is different than the UFC pay per view in any number of ways. Not least of which is the price point, which is about fifty five bucks US for this DAZN pay per view. So you're not comparing apples to apples in a number of different ways. But could 
this weekend be the biggest selling combat sports pay-per-view in the month of October? Yes. Yes, it could be. It is possible. Um, so, yeah, I'm not denying the scope or the size of it. <coughs> but I also think it's not. we're not close to the end of the bubble. I do think there's going to be a moment where some of this stuff really does die down. But it's not going to be all at once. It's not going to be all that fast. It's going to be uneven and weird, in part because now you have figures from regular boxing kind of involved in it. Floyd's always kind of been involved in it. I guess we'll see if he has some kind of December 9th rumored pay-per-view. I don't know if they're going to do that or not. But, you know, he's been involved. And there are other folks who kind of flirt with this story a little bit who are on the outside looking in who kind of want to get involved it's an easy way to make a bunch of money you fight people who can't fight for shit that's a great way to make money if you can do it um even if you also can't fight for shit so uh that part to me is like we're nowhere near done plus you know if even if i don't know if dennis is gonna win i don't what, what are the odds on this fight let by me the tell way? you i, mean, I got them see- right here FanDuel has odds out on this for the main event, it's minus 400 Tommy Fury, who's fresh off of the victory over Jake Paul, although he was right. dropped in the final round. KSI plus 280, and in that co-main event, minus 700 Logan Paul, who hasn't right. boxed uh, in a while, against the plus 450 Dylan Danis, who has never boxed, except for the parking lot time he took a punch and fell. Where he just got stole on. I mean, he, people have been stealing on... Dylan Dennis for quite some time. That doesn't really count as boxing experience. Um, I've been mugged twice. You know, I, I don't really count that as uh, competition per se. Should have um, went third world on that guy, Luke. Yeah. Had- so I, I'll say this: I don't think the bubble is. I know that there are people who are like actively questioning the bubble. I know that there are people who have probably already checked out from this kind of thing. But we're a long way from this all being over. In part because, like, even things like Francis versus Tyson Fury, they're not the same thing as this because both of those guys are elite, but it appeals to a very similar kind of audience, people who don't give a fuck about the level of fighting, who just want to see big names kind of clash, even though it doesn't make any sense for people who sure. are like actually like, hey, who's the best 160-pounder in the world kind of thing. So that that to me is like we're not even we're not even approximating the answer here. And they could do rematches on both sides. If Logan Paul wins, he could fight whoever the fuck else. Not KSI because I guess they're business partners. But I want to see you know, what role there's... Mike Perry plays. Whether Mike Perry is going to come in if Dennis pulls out, or Mike Perry is going to come in the ring after to try to get a fight with Logan. I want to see what right. role he's playing in this. Okay, you know? so he's the next factor, and if he gets involved, it continues the conversations. What I mean about like real fighters getting involved with this stuff now. Okay, but the other but, part I want to ha- I want to have a conversation with you about very quickly if we can yeah. the suing thing is even 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 I saw Brendan Shaw being like hey if you're gonna fight you can't be suing and I, there's not not just him there's been other folks who've been saying that as well and listen didn't that guy I, sue people who put up bad videos about him hey listen I'm not here to I'm not here to uh, to uh, be the you know the hypocrisy detector but I heard it both ways yeah <laughs> I, I, I bet you did I bet you did. My point is only this. It's not so much about that question, which is, can you sue someone you're fighting for the way in which they've promoted a fight? And my answer is, well, again, it would depend on what they did. But I would have, I'd be more in agreement that this was an out-of-bounds thing if these guys were like real fighters. And again, Dylan Dennis obviously has done a lot in jiu-jitsu, or at least, you know, up to black belt he has done a lot. Um, But they're not. Like, they're not. This is silly Jerry Springer shit. So why should any of these guys be bound by the same sort of customary expectations 
that real fighters have. I don't quite while, get that argument. While it is silly Jerry Springer shit, especially if this Del Dylan Dennis fight goes off, like it's just going to be theater of the bazaar. I do wonder in that main event if it's more about like we thought Jake Paul was the best boxer in the bubble, right? The, the, the crossover bubble, which included all the ex-UFC names and all that. Well, he lost to Tommy Fury fair and square. Now, Tommy Fury's going to fight KSI. You have to believe Jake Paul is probably going to fight the winner of this fight next, and it's probably going to be a big deal, and maybe that allows you to sort of be the pound-for-pound pound best in the bubble at the moment. I'm not really sure. All right, yeah. Luke, we are running low on time, and we want to hit our big, uh, big ticket items. We want to close this segment, this topic, with a quick quiz for you, our producer Mikey Mormal put together. Everybody who's on this undercard, Luke, and you have to try to match the names with the faces. I'm going to get this, zero of these correct. I'm, in this I'm a 44-year-old man. Battle Royal. Uh, name the fighters here on this undercard, Luke. Okay, I can do some of this, actually. Number four is Salt Poppy, right? Okay. I don't think I would have gotten any right, to be fair. So number four is Salt Poppy. Oh, number I know number one. one. Number, number one is Anthony Taylor. That yes. part's easy. Uh, number three is Takashi 69 Oh boy! No, he looks um, like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna guess that number two is Slim Al Bahar. Is that Takashi, Luke? Who is no, that? No, it's not. Takashi is selling fucking vapes on Instagram. I mean, he's all right, done. All right. Uh, uh, number eight is King Kenny. Yeah, it says it on his waistband. There, on his King. shorts, yes, he says on the shorts. Oh, I have and, the answers here. And seven and six are, uh, you know. Uh, Jizzle McFuckface and McFuckface McJizzle. It's really well. To, 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 so Taylor is one. Salt uh, two, two is Slim Abhayer. I think I got that one right. Yes. Okay. Four. Three, I know for a fact is Salt Poppy. Three is Winderson Noons. Four Salt Poppy. You got right. Five Willie Sharks. Six Dean the Great. Seven okay. is my Nate Nate. And eight. My is mate Nate. King. Okay, I'm out of this. I'm out. My the guy's name is my Nate. Nate. Yeah. I'm out of no, this. No, listen. Right. I don't call people by their fucking screen names. Your name is Steve. Ass face. <laughs> Your name is Steve. We're not. I've got to call. This. My name is King. Blah blah. Your name is Jeffrey. Yeah, it is. Okay. It is. Your name is Jeff Jeffrey. Jeffrey right. Epstein, and you did yeah, not exactly. kill yourself. Indeed. All right, Luke. We close this week on our 500th episode with something we haven't done in a while, right? It's called the Wheel of Death. Here's the premise. Normally, I prepare questions that I know Luke Thomas doesn't want to answer. It's my version of the Budweiser hot seat. But only this time, Luke, to celebrate 500 episodes, Mikey Mormal, our producer, and myself solicited some of the names that have made MK great over the years, from super fans to celebrity fans and all that, and then some... Too tall, pale, and barely handsome wash dad. So, Luke Thomas, you today will go up against Wheel of Death, 500th episode, Ghost of Christmas Donk Past Edition. Here we go. Let's see the wheel. So, Luke, there right. are 10 questions. You have to spin it five times, and the categories, meaning who's going to deliver the questions, are... Gareth A. Davis, The Warlock, David Appleton, Damien the Donk, Two Changs, Jay Aaron, Chef Kaz, Scott Coker. Wow. Jay and Don Paquette and Laura Sanko. And there's a Mikey's Choice option as well, our great producer. Luke Thomas, you're about to answer questions that you don't want to. And you better give a decent faith response to a probably not that positively faith question. So here we go, Luke. Spin the damn wheel. I'm going to spin it. We don't have animation because uh, where we're at. Oh, no, we do have animation. Sick. 
All right, here we go. Oh, oh. fuck, Appy. Let's hear it. Hey, Luke. <laughs> What's the most embarrassing moment you've ever had on a MK? I mean, when you felt guilty or embarrassed about your behaviour or attitude. It could be when you lost the expensive bottle of wine I gave you in London. Probably isn't when you roasted Jay Paquette for his four minute video. Hope you like the Art Jimerson pull up one glove routine. <laughs> so that is what code, was his question? That is code 2022 donk of the year, David Weinstein Appleton. Uh, his, look, there were a lot of like Easter eggs in that video right there, including that yes. time you did. He did gift you with wine at our live show, and then you basically no, were like, "He came up to me with a look in his face that was like, <laughs> if you ever saw a person give you that look behind the wheel of a car, you know they're all dying in the car." Yeah. Okay, I just want to be clear yeah. about that. And then he handed me a bottle, and I was like, "Well, what? The, I mean, I had to pack my shit for the next day. Like, what am I going to do with this?" So I just left it in the hotel room. I was like, you know, I don't drink, so yeah, that's how Luke usually response to gifts to be fair with you he's dude grinch. drunks handing me things are not entitled to me enjoying it <laughs> okay like, just... uh mikey did you hear his question i believe what, what the was fuck the... was his question mikey was it what is the most embarrassing moment in mk history you've had i mean that was obviously three margaritas yeah right? <laughs> yeah most embarrassing moment gotta be three margaritas gotta be three margaritas didn't know i was gonna feel it that way didn't know the audience behind us <laughs> couldn't hear us <laughs> i mean did just did it didn't know it had gone so poorly until BC was like yeah that might be the worst show we've ever fucking done I was like oh my god so just a combined level of cluelessness meets jackassery meets yeah just it wasn't a great day it just wasn't a great day there you go Luke out of the many embarrassing moments you chose that one thank you David Apple hey is that where Appy uh, keeps his victims and his Probably. basement that little weird yeah, contraption thing I did see in the background there was like a basket with lotion and a, and a rope that, yeah so I was I was thinking so that's where he teaches his students Luke to be fair oh, I bet know? I bet he does I was, with the question is what's he teaching them you know uh, let's go to spin Anal. number two Luke cha-ching spin spin that bitch all right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Chef Kaz. <laughs> Just all the fucking weirdos. How many light bulbs are going to be attached to this guy? Here we go. Blam. What's up, donks? All right. I know you're going to talk some smack, and you're just going to tell the world how the Chef Kaz gave you COVID while wearing his glowing balls as you like to call them look right here i got my glowing balls baby glowing balls everywhere i go glowing balls that's how you know me did you guys see that guy's balls they were weird looking anyway with so many upsets this year and recent in the recent past uh in mma like we what did we just see we saw sean strickland beating izzy we saw even uh sean o'malley beating Aljamain. Just this past weekend, we saw Bobby Green upsetting Grant Dawson. Okay, so we're kind of in this phase, this period of upsets. Like, upsets are becoming normalized, right? What upset do you see 
happening in the rest of 2023 and how does it shape the MMA landscape? So what upset are you gonna take a flyer on and how do you see that upset shaping the MMA landscape? Guys, congratulations on 500 episodes and I hope to see you guys in Vegas try to coordinate your trip when I'm actually in town and I will show up with a bag of food at a press conference and sneak in just to bring it to you. I get, that's the Chef Kaz promise to you. Blah, blah. <laughs> I'll see you guys soon. Kaz out. Okay. Look, he, you got to give him credit. Here. He leaned into that glow, that glowing ball. Uh, the, that glowing <laughs> ball thing was so fucking weird. My man's got just UV rays right into his balls and eyeballs. How about the best part of that thing where he's trying to talk over the fucking hazard lights that he's put on on his dashboard that are just going click, signal. click, click, click yeah. in, the, in the background. Turn off the fucking hazard lights. Hey, you got to respect Chef Kaz. By the way, nutritionist to the stars, right? I guess, you know. I mean, it's, I mean who, who, this, this is the only guy I know who's like, I got to record this video. Can we turn on the washing machine and... Uh, Open the door to city traffic before yeah, we record. The, I want to make sure no, we have the Jay perfect Aaron. recording environment. Do you remember our producer Jay Aaron had the? He would always have that uh, that fan on, and when he'd talk, he'd be like, uh, "Hey, Luke." Rah. Yeah, why don't you try and talk into a lawnmower, moving a lawnmower blade next time, Chef Cass? All right, Luke. We are short on time for our studio here. Uh, can you answer the question? I can think that we kind of already been over it. To answer the question more seriously, what if Volkanovski actually does upset the apple cart? What does that do potentially to featherweight? I think it absolutely puts Max and Ilya Teporia on a collision course. Um, it changes what I think Volkanovski plans to do at 145. I, I really believe that if Volkanovski can get this upset uh, at UFC 294, it changes a lot about the future of featherweight. But it's a big if. It is a big if. All right, we'll go to spin number three. Uh. All right, here we go. I know you're going to get two changs. I know. You. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> Jay and Don P. Yes. Time for Morning Combat, the best damn sports talk show in the world today, period. <laughs> yeah. We are fired the hell up. It's Jay Paquette, a.k.a. JP, coming to you from beautiful Mount Unike, No, B.C., Uniac, Nova Scotia, Canada. Accompanied by the B.C.'s declaimed first MK, uh, Lady of MK, Dawn, the boss lady. We're here to wish you a massive, massive congratulations on this historical milestone, 500 episode. And like I said, we are fired the hell up, so we need a little bit of bubbly. There you go. Woo! Woo! There you go. Pour it up, boss lady. Let's go. You got the package. Open the package. What package? What are you talking about? Package if I Oh. It's the average Joe Ernst merch. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> to all Morning Combat fans, the Paquettes JP, Don the Boss Lady, we are fully endorsing and putting all of our weight and love and support behind Average Show Art for your Morning Combat 2023 Donk of the Year. Let's go. Average Show Merch 3.0. Get it now, folks. Hot off the shelves. I'm Average Show Art, and I endorse this message. 
<laughs> yes. I like that, Luke. I like yes. that. Yes. I like that. That was Mike, great. We didn't have Mikey, can we run the bonus question? They didn't ask a question, the Paquettes, but they gave us so much love and, and interesting. They were shifting to average Joe Art for Donk of the Year. We did get a, a bonus question though from Jeremy Oakman, one of the best uh have you seen the shit supplier? He's got the instructions in the chat. Oh, we have to skip. Mike, we got to play. Thomas, when you go to jail, do you hang out with the white guys or the Latinos? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was a fair question, Luke. It's a fair question. I mean, you know. Um, My understanding of prison is that it is decidedly racial. I would probably be hanging out with the other other, uh, skateboarders. You know what I'm saying? The other white All right, let's go to the next one. Spin four. Let's do it. Oh, fucking shit. Oh, fucking shit. Revelry, revelry, what a day. MK on your 500th episode, man. So proud for y'all. Just so happy. Wanted to say, though, just wanted to ask. That salute was three miles an hour. Smart fence? That's right. It's me, Smart Fence, the smartest fence in the world. What the hell are you doing here? Thought you and your brother were going to the strip club. We were, but I wanted to ask MK a question. Well, I was going to ask him a question, but you, you want to ask him a question? Okay, you can ask the question. Thank you. My question is, is the smart cage the dumbest promotional gimmick in all of combat sports? <laughs> it's a good question from the smart fence. By the way, if you see my brother, be careful. Nah, me and smart cage are cool. No, I'm talking about my other brother. He's not doing good. Oh, okay. Thanks for the heads up, smart fence. La, la, la. What's good, homie? Smartwall? What up? It's me, Smartwall. Wanna buy some crack? No, I'm good, man. I appreciate it, though. Uh, st- stay good. Where are you going? Get your ass back here. No, I'm, I got I'm, something I'm, to I'm show good. you. I'm good, man. Come here, bitch. <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> it's so stupid. I love it. I mean, come on. Okay, that's an A plus plus. That's right. an A plus plus. That's so fucking funny. Smart fence and smart wall. Uh, Luke, Luke, quick answer here: Is the smart cage the worst gimmick ever attempted in mixed martial arts? History? It re- it truly is a corporate, mind-numbingly stupid thing that they should drop immediately. Yes. All right, there you go. We got one more for you. Spin number five on the wheel. Oh, fuck me. Michael Chiesa? Whoa! What? Luke, um, I know you have a particular taste in music, Cannibal Corpse and things of that sort. So my question for you is, what's your favorite Dave Matthews song? (laughs) Luke, here's my question for you. Would you rather have PEDs be legal in the UFC, or would you rather have chocolate hummus completely erased from our existence? Give me three reasons why. Okay. First of all, favorite Dave Matthews song. First of all, it's a fucking hilarious question. Shouts to Michael Chiesa. He's a real one. Favorite Dave Matthews song, Satellite. Satellite in my... That one. Okay, here we go. The answer, of course, Michael Chiesa, is to get rid of chocolate hummus because you are just desecrating 
desecrating ancient traditions that there there's nothing wrong with them. Like they were fine. Like hummus is delicious. Putting chocolate in it, you know, I mean, I don't even, I you just, you, this is a, this is a war crime. This is a, it's a, it's a, it's a food, it's a food crime. It's a food crime, BC. It's a food crime. I don't need to say much more. I don't have three Such reasons other than to say it's sacrilegious. And my dreams. Yeah, great answer. Great video question. I believe Mikey has a bonus one to close here on our 500th. All right, let's see it. Let's see it. Good morning, morning callback guys. Uh, 500 episodes, congratulations. You're absolutely smashing it. My question is, will we ever see new metal look again? Check the picture. (laughs) (laughs) Bear Jew, Bear Jew, my man. Bear Jew's the man. Shouts to the Bear Jew. He's a real one as well. Uh, I certainly hope not. I certainly hope not. I mean, listen, you know, I was doing a lot of drinking at that time. I wasn't in the healthiest or the most aware state I've ever been in. So uh, I'm in a better place. BC, I'm in a better place. We got to get some bet where when you lose, some, you know, year-long okay bet type thing where when you lose, you have to recreate that photo. Shave your head, leave just the goatee. That would probably be the greatest moment of my life. I really. We would have to, to have a bet where, like, it, the reward would be great or the punishment would be that, right? Like, there's some kind of really epic bet. Because to put that on the thing that I would have to sign up for, the prize would have to be big. The prize would have to be very well, big. You know I saying? want to thank all of our great donks who sent in videos. Michael Chiesa, Paul yes, Craig. Yes, thank you. For helping you. out Very and well sharing done. the love across the board. The Paquettes, I mean, thank you guys. We love you. Uh, as a gift, as we reference off the top of this show, get ready. Six minutes from now, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Morning Combat YouTube channel, the 50 greatest moments in MK history compiled by our great producer, Mikey Morms. Uh, I can't wait to see this, Luke. It has been an incredible journey. Uh what do you, it, it, by the way, these 50 moments, Luke, this is a two-hour event, basically. Yeah, it's a movie. It's a it's movie. It's basically a movie right there. BC, I just want to say, you know, listen, I know that most days you want to stab me in the face with a pitchfork, mostly because you don't understand me, but I forgive yes. you. That's okay. You know, forgive yes. them, Father, for they know not what they do. I have yes. to remind myself every time I listen to you that that's really what we're doing with. <laughs> but in all seriousness, dude, congratulations to you and to both of us. But like, hey, man, thanks for being my partner in this. Um, I don't know what the future is. No, none of us do. No, nothing, nothing's promised tomorrow. We don't know. But, uh, dude, these last four and a half years have been pretty fucking great. Like, they, you know, there's been some trying times more recently. We understand that. But, dude, since July 2019, in general, it's been fucking good, dude. It's, it's been, been good. fucking good. So good. thank you, so man. Thank you as well, Luke, for being by my side. Uh we don't always get along, and sometimes that's better for the show, but uh, we love this journey, and we've poured ourselves into it. And you know what? In hell or high water, let's see it keep going. Let's find out, right? Let's shouts, find out. Shouts let's to the this. smart fence and the smart wall. We Indeed. See you. Thank you to the great fans. Thank you to our producer, Mikey Moore-Mile, who has 
been with us almost from the beginning. I mean, he was my producer in my podcast when we transferred over into MK, and he's basically been there since day one, P1, and is a rock for us these days. So thank you, Mikey, for all your great work. Thank you for the fans. Uh, hey, this was just episode 500. Join us for 501 on Friday. Check out Luke's interview, if you have it, with Gordon Ryan. And uh, Luke, you get the final message to the people on the way home here. Yeah, thanks to everyone who contributed a question here today. Thanks to Mikey Morms. Thanks to Malka. Thanks to Showtime. Thanks to everybody, guys. As I mentioned, nothing is promised tomorrow. Who the hell knows what's going to happen in this crazy world? But we got to this point, and that's pretty great. We're pretty fucking lucky, and we're really, really happy about it. So please join us on Friday. Enjoy everything that they have put together for the 50 greatest moments in MK history. Thank you guys, uh, the viewers, the listeners, the fans, and everybody else. Yeah, man. Until next time, keep them gains loyal, bitches.